Well, if you have your Bibles, um, you can turn first to Exodus chapter 12. Um, we've been talking about what it means to be the church, what, what God has designed whenever he designed the church. We started with the story of Jesus telling uh, his disciples, on this rock I will build my church, and it was the proclamation that he was the Son of God, that he was the Messiah. And, and so on that rock, the church has been built and exists still today on that firm foundation that Jesus is the Son of God. And we exist to glorify him. We exist to bring honor to that name. And anything that the church does today needs to align itself with that proclamation. And from there, we've talked about what it means to be part of the church, that we are being built up as, a, as if living stones, um, as a part of the church, that we are the body of Christ, that we are the family of God. And, and we've been talking about how we are called to use our gifts as a part of a fully functioning body of, of Christ. And so we, we've seen these things. Last week, we talked about what it is to, to be a member of a church, and, and that means that we are saved people. Right? And, and we talked about what salvation really is all about, that it, it's because of what God has done for us, because we were separated from him, Christ came and he died on the cross, taking the penalty for our sin. And it's through that sacrifice and our accepting it and calling on that sacrifice for our own personal sins by which we're saved. And then we follow the Lord through baptism in obedience to the commands of Scripture, we go through with an a outward expression of what has happened in our hearts inwardly. And, and we call baptism one of the ordinances of the church. It's something that the Scripture tells us we ought to do. And, and so it's something that we do, um, to, we practice it to be a demonstration of our faith. And we believe that, that God uses those symbols. He uses that, that picture and the, the, the washing of water and the, the words that we speak as a blessing during those events to increase our faith, to proclaim himself as the Lord and master of our lives and give us greater faith in him. And, and so these are things that, that do that. Today what we want to talk about is we want to talk about the Lord's Supper. This is another ordinance of the church. This is something that churches are, are instructed to perform. And, and so the Lord's Supper is something that was instituted, we know, by Christ, but it actually goes back further than that. And so I want us to start back further. I want us to start all the way back in Exodus. And, and for me, Exodus is in that part of the Bible that's coming out of the Bible. So, you know, I need to get a new one. But uh, studying for this was a little bit interesting because of that. But um, <clears throat> Exodus chapter 12, right? And I, I'm not going to turn there because I have it here on my little screen. So if my Bible falls apart, I, I need a new one. I got this one. On, on the, this was a gift on the day of my ordination uh, as a pastor. And, and I love it. And I, I don't want to part with it yet. But anyway, it's, it's seen better days. So Exodus chapter 12. Let me kind of set the scene a little bit of what's going on. Uh, you're going to hear about Moses and Aaron and the Lord speaking to them. All right now, Moses and Aaron, of course, were the leaders of Israel at the time of the Exodus. The Exodus being the time when Israel left Egypt. All right, but how did they get to Egypt in the first place? Well, a long time ago, God chose a man named Abram, changed his name to Abraham, and he said, I'm going to send you somewhere, and you just need to follow me, and I'll tell you when you get there. 
And Abram packed up everything he owned, his, including his father and his household, and he just packed everything up and he started going somewhere. And then when he got somewhere, God said, you see everything around you? I'm giving this land to you and your descendants. And Abram, Abraham at that time had zero children. He didn't have a single, a single child to pass this on to. And God said, but I'm going to give you a son. And Abram was, Abraham was 110 years old before his son was born. But God, in the right time, gave him a son, and God used that to continue this promise. He said, in you I will bless all the nations. And they lived in this land, and God blessed him, and he prospered, and his, his herds grew so large, and his servants, the amount of servants he needed, was such a large number that neighboring villages were worried about Abraham. And they made him move further and further away, and, and he would just comply. He didn't want to start any fights. But he knew that God had said, all of this is going to belong to you and to your descendants. Well, eventually some things happen. We get down to the, the grandkids, and, and we have um, Israel. His name was Jacob, and God changed his name to Israel. And he had 12 sons, which are the 12 tribes of Israel. And they sold one of their brothers away as a slave, these 12 sons. It's a terrible thing to do to someone, but God was in it, and God chose to use that to put Joseph in the right place at the right time. Joseph, being sold as a slave, ended up in Egypt, and he, as he was there in Egypt and he did well as a servant, he was given a position of power. Then it was taken away from him, and he was put in prison, but he interpreted dreams, and that news got back to Pharaoh, because Pharaoh had a bad dream. When Joseph interpreted that dream for Pharaoh and told him what was about to happen, Pharaoh said, that's right. I know that what you're saying is right. And you have such a good idea about how to solve this problem, I'm going to put you in charge of it. And so in the, the org chart for Egypt, it became Pharaoh and then Joseph, right underneath Pharaoh. He went from the prison to the number two in command of all of Egypt. And so Joseph was in charge. And then a famine came and they had to, his brothers came from Israel, the land that God had given them. They came from that region to Egypt to buy food. And he ended up saying, no, 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 you're not just going to buy food and go back home to that wasteland. You're going to move here. And he moved them there into Egypt. And they dwelt there in Egypt. They thrived there in Egypt. And they grew and grew and grew. The, the tribes of Israel became huge, huge families. So much so that, again, the Egyptians got worried about them. And they put them uh, to, the, to the grindstone, if you will. They made them their slaves. And so Israel, the people of Israel, became slaves to the Egyptians. And they cried out to God, and they cried out to God because of the hardship that they were under. And finally God heard their prayer, and he sent Moses back into Egypt. Now, that was a, a very brief recap of a lot of stories from the Bible. But the idea is this. It is time for the people to leave. Moses has come back and he's told Pharaoh, it's time for the Israelites to get out of Egypt. Let us go and worship our God. And Pharaoh keeps telling him no. And every time he tells them no, God sends a plague on Egypt. Something that would devastate them for a period of time. He, he turned the Nile River, which they worshipped as a god, into blood so that they didn't have any drinking water for a period of time. He made it go dark, so dark you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. Not just at nighttime, he did it in the middle of the day. and They couldn't see anything. He, he caused locusts to swarm through. 
He caused frogs to, to fill the houses, so, so much so that they had to pile up heaps and heaps of these frogs whenever they all died. But what, what God did is one by one gave Pharaoh the chance to let his people go, and they would not let them go. So nine plagues have come and affected the whole land of Egypt, and plague number 10 is about to happen. So here we are in Exodus chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month they are to each one take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's households, a lamb for each household. Now if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them. According to what each man should eat, you are to divide the lamb. He says, The lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Now this sounds like something barbaric to us, but taking care of sheep and slaughtering sheep to eat them is just a natural occurrence, a normal thing for a people that are known as shepherds. Right? So this is just everyday practice for them. But he's saying, I want us to take a special lamb. The firstborn. It, it needs to be a year old. It, it needs to be a male. He wants it to be unblemished. He says, you're going to take this lamb and everybody is going to, on the same day, kill the lamb to eat it. All right? Everybody is going to participate in this. This is some sacred day that God is establishing for them because he's about to do something great on their behalf. Let's continue. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. And they shall eat the flesh that same night, roasted with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled at all with water, but rather roasted with fire, both its head, its legs, along with its entrails, and you shall not leave any of it over until morning. But whatever is left of it until morning, you shall burn with fire. All right, so the idea here, he says, you're going to go to the father's household. So this would be like me packing up the kids and going to granddad's house. All right? And, and so we would gather together and we would, you know, roast a lamb together. And everybody would get their portion of it and we needed to eat all of it. There's not going to be any leftovers. All right? So think about Thanksgiving dinner and the rule is no leftovers. All right? Everybody's got to eat some. If there's any leftover, then you're going to burn it in fire. There's no need to try to pack that up and save it. There's no need to parcel it away to stretch it out over a period of time because they're leaving. God is, God is telling them through this. He's saying, look, there's no reason to keep any of it because we're about to pack our bags and go. In fact, he tells them this. You shall eat it in this manner. With your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. He says, For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. Against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. All right, now, 
God goes on and he establishes this as a, an ongoing remembrance practice for them. And what he tells them is this, that there's also bread that's associated with this feast. And what he tells them is this, on that first day, this is going to be a seven-day remembrance. On the first day, everyone takes a lamb, you kill the lamb, and you eat it that night, just the way that God instructed them to prepare it. But you're also going to have unleavened bread. What that means is instead of putting dough together with yeast in it that will rise up over time, you ever been waiting for those rolls to rise on Thanksgiving morning? Right? You say, we, we don't have time for that. No leaven. We're going to eat unleavened bread because God acted quickly on our behalf and there was no waiting anymore. And so he's saying, you're going to eat bread that is unleavened. And so it was this flat matzah bread is what they called it. And it was, it was flat and it was crispy. But that was the bread that they had with this meal. And God told them, you're going to eat it for seven days in remembrance of this time. And so he established for them to continue to remember this throughout all of their generations. And they called this the Passover. And this is what he says about, remember whenever he told them to take the blood and to put it on the doorpost and on the lintel over the top? He says this, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So in that house where you ate the, the roasted lamb and, and you had the unleavened bread and, and you were eating it with your sandals on, girded up, ready to go, you're staying in that house. Because what you've done is that blood, you, you put it on the doorpost across the lintel over the top and it was a sign to the Lord, to the angel of the Lord that passed through all of Egypt that this house is under the protection of the Lord. This house is one to pass over. But any house in all the land of Egypt that did not have the blood sprinkled on the doorpost and on the, the, the cross over at the lintel, those houses suffered great loss. The angel of the Lord came in and it, it, <clears throat> it killed the firstborn of that house. And this was in judgment to those people because they would not yield to the God of Israel. They would not yield to the Lord. And therefore, they suffered great loss. But any house that the blood of the lamb had been applied to the doorposts and to the lintel, that house was protected from the, the angel of death. Now, at the time, they had no idea what they were doing in that except they were being obedient to the Lord they knew that God honored faithfulness if God said do something and you followed through with whatever that instruction was God honored that and blessed that and so they followed the instructions of the Lord here and God of course protected them and on that night whenever the angel of death had visited Pharaoh even Pharaoh's house was not protected and Pharaoh told Moses get the people and get out of here and as they went, the Egyptians were saying, please go. All of the Egypt was suffering such great loss, and they knew it was at the hand of the God of Israel. They were saying, we want you out of here. Please go. And in fact, they gave them gold and jewelry. They gave them, and, and, and by this, they plundered the Egyptians as they went out, and God delivered them from the oppression, from the slavery 
in the house of Egypt. And so, in the same way, this has happened for us. This story of the Israelites is our story too, still today. So this, this practice of the Passover feast, it was an ongoing tradition. It was something that was practiced among Jewish people. And Jesus, of course, grew up a Jewish person. And, and as he lived, he practiced those, those remembrances, those feasts and festivals that God had established for his people. And in Matthew chapter 26, we see a passage of Scripture where Jesus is, is getting ready for this Passover And then he honors it, observes it with his disciples. So in Matthew chapter 26, if you look in verse 17, it says this, On the first day of unleavened bread, that means on that ritual that God established all the way back in Exodus chapter 12, God said you're going to observe a week of festival. And on that first day, that's the day that everyone was to kill the lamb and prepare it the way that God had instructed them to do so, as, along with the unleavened bread. He's saying, on that first day, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is near. I'm to keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. I always thought that was a little bit strange, a certain man. And we don't know if maybe Jesus actually named someone, and whenever the authors were writing this down, they said it's not important what his name was. Maybe he's like me, and he doesn't know names very well. Or maybe for whatever reason, God just chose not to name this person, whoever it is. But he sent them into the town. He said, when you come to that man, tell them the teacher needs to observe the Passover at your house. And so they go and do as Jesus had had directed. He says, the disciples did as Jesus directed them, and they prepared the Passover. We skip a few verses down to verse 26. It says this, While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples. And he said, Take, eat. This is my body. So Jesus is taking the bread from that feast that God established all the way back in Exodus 12, and he's saying, listen, I'm going to teach you a new meaning to this bread. It means something more. I want you to take the bread, I want you to break it, I want you to pass it around, and I want you to take and eat it. This is my body, he says. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And so Jesus is telling them that as you take this this cup and you drink from it, and, and the other gospels record that Jesus took one cup and he poured into it and he passed that cup around to each of them. And they took and they, they sipped from the same cup together. And Jesus is saying, this is my blood. The blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And he is telling them that he wants them to continue this practice. In 1 Corinthians, we find a letter from Paul to a church. And... <clears throat> 
we know that the church is practicing this Lord's Supper because Paul is telling them that they're doing it wrong. And so we're going to look at this together because we can do it wrong. And if we can do it wrong, we need to know what's wrong with the way that it's being done so that we can do it in a way that honors the memory that Christ established. Jesus took that Passover, that symbol, and he is saying, listen, this is something new for today. And what we understand is this, is that Jesus was the lamb. Yes, his body was broken for us, but it was his blood that was, that was painted on the cross that causes the wrath of God to pass over my sins and to pass over your sins so that we don't have to suffer the wrath of God. And he is telling them, I want you to continue to remember that my body was broken and my blood was spilled for the forgiveness of your sins. But sometimes we forget what this is about. Sometimes we we miss the mark on this. Now, at 1 Corinthians, they were really getting this wrong. Look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. He's saying, you might think you're doing the Lord's Supper, but you're not doing the Lord's Supper. You're, You're not observing it the way that it is. He says, for in your eating, each one takes his own supper first. Right? In other words, they were going through and they're piling it up so that they can get enough to eat. It's like, this, this is not what this is about. This meal that we're observing together is not about getting yourself full. He says, one is hungry, another is drunk. That means they're, they're taking the, the cup, the wine in the cup, and they are drinking it enough to get drunk. He says, you are missing the point of all of this. That is not what this feast is about. Yes, we're celebrating. Yes, we're happy. Yes, we're blessed by all of this. But it is not to be taken this way. He says, what? <laughs> do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Do you not despise, or, or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? And this I will not praise you. And then he gives this instructions. He says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He says, this is what it's about. We are talking about the Lord's death, that his sacrifice was made for us. And we take of it with a grateful heart. We don't take it out of greed. We don't take it for our own nourishments, for our own selfish desires. But we take it in gratitude, knowing that it was broken for all. There shouldn't be people who are excluded from taking it because maybe they don't have the same status. You know, the implication in his criticism to them is that people who were of the worthy stature were taking more of it because they believed they had contributed more to it in some way. 
And other people who had little were being excluded. He says, this should not be. The body was broken for all of us. The blood was shed for all of us. And so all should be free to take of it. There shouldn't be exclusions. And it shouldn't be done in a selfish manner. And this is what he says. This warning comes with it. Continuing in verse 27, it says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Now listen, we are all guilty of the death of Jesus. It was my sin that had to be paid for. It was your sin that had to be dealt with. And unless Jesus died, we would have no hope of heaven. And so just as much as a Roman guard held a hammer, I'm guilty of piercing his hands and his side and his feet. I'm just as guilty. And so if I take of this in an unworthy manner, if I take it in a selfish way, or if I take it in some kind of, in some position of feeling like I deserve it, and I am taking it with the full judgment of Christ's death. He says, you'll be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. He says this, but a man must examine himself. And in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. And for this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. When we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Listen, God's heart in all of this is not to condemn you. Okay? And there's a lot of rules around the Lord's Supper and, and a lot of different walks of our, our faith practice this in very different ways. I, I've had the opportunity over the last couple of years to sit around that table back there with, with ministers from different congregations who have different standards and expectations around the Lord's Supper. And some of them take very seriously this warning about taking it to your own judgment. And in, in taking that warning so seriously, they exclude people who are not members of their church. Because they don't know where they stand with the Lord. And so to shelter them and shield them from taking this to their judgment, they just don't allow them to partake at all. And that's not our position here. Because I believe that this, this principle here is, is very, very important. A man must examine himself. I believe that you need to know that there is a a warning that we can take this in the wrong manner. But ultimately, I don't know your heart. And I can't stand in judgment against you if you are saying that you have judged yourself rightly with the Lord. And so we don't exclude anyone. But I will say this. The, the judgments here that, that are implied are this, that it's that judgment of the death of our Savior. All of us are guilty of that already. When we 
are born into sin, we are guilty of the Lord's death because it was our sin that put him to death. When we take it in an unworthy manner, what we're doing is we are, we are expressing that we don't need his salvation. And we are taking that judgment upon ourselves. And so if a lost person was to come in and they were to walk forward and take the elements, then they are, and, and they really don't have a, a love for our Savior, but they're just doing it because they see everybody else doing it, I don't see them as any more judged than they were already judged. We were already condemned to die. We're already condemned to separation from God. And so I'm not going to stand and say, wait, are you saved? And, and stop every person and look them in the eye and ask them, you know, their testimony of salvation. But I will say, if you're an unsaved person, what we're honoring here is we're honoring the broken body of Jesus, the blood that was shed by him. And if you have not asked for his forgiveness, then you're participating in the murder of an innocent person. But we take it knowing that he did that for our sake. Remembering the gift that it was. Those of us who are saved recognize that his body was broken for me and my sin. His blood was shed for me so that I could be washed clean. And so it's not a curse to me anymore. It is the very life that I have. Because Christ died to set me free. So as we take the bread and we take the cup, we do this to remember what the Lord has done. We do this to remember that the Lamb was slain for us. That His blood was applied to the cross so that our sins would not condemn us, but the Lord's judgment would pass over us. So this morning, I invite you to come. And I'm going to invite you to come and partake of, the, of these elements, the, the bread representing the broken body of our Savior. The, the juice representing the blood that was shed on our behalf. I invite you to remember what Christ has done. What Paul said in his instructions was this. He said, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We take this not because we're worthy of it. We take this because we're grateful for the gift that was given. And we are remembering and proclaiming that to others. So listen, anybody who comes today and, and takes of the Lord's Supper, what you're saying out loud to everyone else in the room by taking of this, is you're saying, I am a sinner who needed a Savior. Judgment was due to me, but Christ took it on my behalf. I come today acknowledging my need for a Savior. And so we take it not in a place of deserving, as if we have earned it in any way, but acknowledging that it was a gift that we desperately needed and was fully paid on our behalf. This morning, I'm going to say a, a prayer of thanks, just as Jesus offered thanks on that night. Thanking the Lord for what this represents. 
Keetron's going to come and play, and we're, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond to the Lord by coming and partaking of this. Now, we're going to have a meal together to get full. So this is just a taste, but it's a remembrance of what Christ has done for us. And so we invite you to come and participate in this. As you prepare your own heart, rightly judge yourself, as the scripture tells us to do, and then come with a heart of gratitude and receive what Christ has done for you. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your word that teaches us the truth. And Jesus, I thank you that you went to the cross. You allowed your body to be broken on my behalf. Surely it was my sin that deserved to be punished, not yours. You had no sin. But because you were sinless, because you were spotless, because you were an unblemished lamb, your sacrifice could take my place. Your blood applied to my sin allows the wrath of God to pass over me. And you've set me free from the slavery of sin. And Father, I know I'm headed to the promised land. Jesus, we thank you for your body that was broken for us. We thank you for your blood that was poured out for the cleansing of our sin. And we come this morning to this table remembering what you have done. And Jesus, thank you that you are right here with us, offering again to each of us your body which was broken and your blood which was shed. And we take it with a glad heart and with a humble heart, recognizing what a gift it was. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As the Lord leads you, as your heart is ready, you come and partake of the elements.